0: This video is for educational and infotainment purposes only. It is not intended to encourage or glorify the use of illegal drugs, violence, or criminal activity in any way. So it's not all that uncommon to have a warrant out for your arrest. Miss a court date, you get a warrant. However, it is a big deal if you're wanted by the FBI. It's an even bigger deal if you make the FBI's top 10 wanted list. And it's the biggest deal if the FBI is willing to pay $20 million, the most of anybody on the top 10 list, for information leading to your arrest. Such is the case for Rafael Caro Quintero, co-founder of the Guadalajara Cartel in Mexico. So what do you have to do to be one of the most wanted men in the history of the FBI? Well, you're about to find out. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at the life of Rafael Caro Quintero, known as Rafa one of the co-founders of the Guadalajara cartel, who in the 70s and the 80s controlled most of the drug trafficking in Mexico along the United States corridor. We're going to talk about his childhood, how he got into and learned the drug trade. We're going to talk about how he, with a little help from his friends, founded the Guadalajara cartel, which united several smaller drug plazas into Mexico's first major drug cartel. And its members reads like a who's who in drug cartel history with no less than 10 future drug cartel leaders starting off with the Guadalajara cartel. We will look at the rise and then the fall of the cartel following its involvement in the death of U.S. DEA agent Kiki Camarena. Finally, we will talk about Rafa's arrest, his trial, his imprisonment, and then his release on a technicality, his disappearance, and where he might be today. If you enjoy the episode, do me a favor, hit that like button for me. If you got something to say, put it in the comment sections below. If you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button, and you guys know it that I love it when you share my videos on social media. Recall that all of our episodes are available in podcast format on all of the major outlets. And remember, we have memberships. A membership gets you early access to the videos, and I personally will respond to all comments by members. So become a member today. But enough about me, let's talk about Rafa. So Rafael Quintero was born on October 3rd, 1952 in the Mexican state of Sinaloa. Specifically, he was born near the city of Badiraguato. It's a little town of about 3,500, but it is the hometown of a bunch of famous drug lords. That general area is responsible for Rafa, his brother Miguel Caro Quintero, Don Neto, El Chapo, El Azul, the Beltran Leyva brothers, and Pedro Aviles Perez. That is a bunch of very big cartel names coming from a very little town. Now, Rafa was the oldest of 12 children. His father was a rancher who was killed in a drug-related dispute when he was just 14, necessitating that Rafa assume the father figure role in helping his mother provide for the family. At age 16, he would leave home and bounce between jobs, including working as a truck driver. It was also during this time that he started doing what a lot of people in and around his hometown did, and that was growing marijuana. And as luck would have it, his first wife belonged to a family of traffickers. As his popularity grew, he caught the eye of Pedro Aviles Perez, AKA Don Pedro. And if you know anything of the history of Mexican drug cartels, you know that it all starts with Don Pedro, also known as El León de la Sierra, or the Lion of the Sierras, referring to the Sierra Madre mountain range in Mexico, wherein he lived and worked. Now, Don Pedro became the first major Mexican drug lord beginning in the late 60s and is considered to be the first generation of major Mexican drug smugglers. He was also the first drug lord to use an aircraft to smuggle drugs into the United States. Second generation traffickers such as Felix Gallardo, Rafael Caro Cantero Rafa, and Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo Don Neto would all go on to say that they learned the drug trade from Don Pedro. Now, drug trafficking has drastically changed over the past 50 years. In the beginning, violence was unnecessary and formal organizations were scarce. In fact, if you go back to when Rafa was just getting his start, only two major drug trafficking organizations even existed in Mexico. Compare that to today, where law enforcement identifies the existence of nine separate drug cartels and 36 additional cell groups or gangs that are involved in some way in the Mexican drug trade. But in the 70s, there were only two organizations called clicas or cliques involved in the drug trade. They were the Gulf and the Aviles organization. The Gulf Cartel, as it is now called, had been around a lot longer, getting started in the 30s, smuggling alcohol into the United States during Prohibition. They operated out of Matamoros, Tamaulipas, which is right across the border from Brownsville, Texas. And they were involved in a lot of different types of organized crime, gambling, prostitution, car theft, and they peddled a little heroin. But in the 70s, moving drugs was not a main area for them. Juxtaposed was the Aviles organization with its center of operations among the Sierra Madre mountain range within the Triangulo Dorado or the Golden Triangle region of Chihuahua, Sinaloa, and Durango. It was from this remote location that Don Pedro was able to establish a drug trafficking organization that sowed, cultivated, and distributed mass amounts of contraband. The group primarily trafficked marijuana and heroin, but was also one of the first to start trafficking cocaine into the United States from South America. And as the organization grew, Don Pedro acquired several men under his command. And it is a veritable who's who of future drug lords. So here we go. In his inner circle was Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, who would later be the leader of the Guadalajara cartel and who used his time with the federal judicial police to shield and protect the drug trade. Ernesto Fonseco Carrillo, Don Neto, the right-hand man of Felix Gallardo, and future Guadalajara cartel founder. He and Gallardo would become among the first to start working with Pablo Escobar in Colombia. And Rafael Caracintero Rafa, who would be the third founder of the Guadalajara cartel and who is, of course, the subject of this video. Down a rung was Juan Jose Esparagoza Moreno, called El Azul or Blue, because his skin was so dark. Amado Carrillo Fuentes, the Lord of the Skies, who would revolutionize smuggling cocaine through the air with his fleet of airplanes and who would later seize control of the Juarez cartel for himself. Ismael El Mayo Zambala, who would become one of the founders of the Juarez and the Sinaloa cartels after the Guadalajara cartel broke up. We have Joaquin Guzman, El Chapo, of later Sinaloa cartel fame. Finally, the ariano felix brothers as well as the Beltran-Leva brothers were all getting their start at this time in the Aviles organization. So if you ever wondered how all of this drug mess got started, it was Don Pedro. And as I mentioned, back then, at least in the beginning, there really was no violence. I know it's hard to believe with this bunch, but Don Pedro prohibited it. He saw violence as unnecessarily drawing attention to the group and a threat to the business. Aviles was able to protect his empire with dollars rather than bullets by brokering a deal with local law enforcement. The deal had two rules— Don Pedro would be given zones of operation where he would be able to traffic drugs as long as he, number one, kept the peace in the zones of operation and number two, was willing to circulate some of the drug money for the benefit of the local economy. And things went really well during the early and mid 70s. As the group's success grew, several other traffickers or drug plazas began to spring up throughout Mexico, and then things really started going sideways in 1978. Info from both the United States and Mexican authorities would later reveal that there was a power struggle that had emerged between Don Pedro and Felix Gallardo that would ultimately lead to each man plotting a way to seize control for himself. We know that just prior to Don Pedro's death, there was a meeting of the leaders of the various plazas that had sprung up in Mexico. Gallardo wanted to establish one large group of all the major drug traffickers. Aviles didn't see the need to do so and took particular offense when one of his plaza rivals credited Gallardo for bringing all of the parties together. Regardless, shortly after this meeting, Don Pedro is killed, and to this day, much mystery surrounds how his death went down. Now, the official version is that he was killed in a shootout with law enforcement on September 15th of 1978, about six miles outside of Culiacon at a police checkpoint near a junction in the highway known as the Y. But there are at least four different versions about what actually went down. Now, it's beyond the scope of this video, but if you are interested in examining all of the different versions about how he was killed, check out my full-length video on Pedro Aviles Perez. So, with the death of Don Pedro, Miguel Ángel Félix Gallardo, Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo, Don Neto, and Rafael Caro Quintero Rafa would then take over the organization's leadership. And pursuant to the earlier meeting, they coordinated the various plazas, their production and operations, and formed the core of what became known as the Guadalajara Cartel. And they took slingin' dope to the next level. With Gallardo's time in the Mexican Federal Judicial Police, and his affiliation with the governor of Sinaloa, he was able to call upon his numerous political and law enforcement relationships to protect this new organization. They also significantly upped their drug game. First, they started producing high-quality seedless marijuana called Sensamilla, in mass quantities in large multi-acre fields. And really, nobody in history had produced marijuana on this scale before. It was also about this time, the early 80s, when the Colombian drug cartels were shoveling massive amounts of cocaine into the United States. And DEA efforts were focused primarily on Florida, which was the major shipping destination for Colombia cartels, who were importing cocaine by way of the Bahamas and then up through Florida. So to avoid law enforcement scrutiny in Florida, the Colombian cartels began to utilize Mexico as its primary transshipment point. This was all facilitated through Honduran smuggler Juan Ramon Balasteros, who was the Guadalajara cartel's primary connection to the Colombian cartels. But now, instead of taking cash payments for their services like Don Pedro did, the Guadalajara cartel would take a cut of the cocaine they were transporting and sell it for themselves. This turned out to be very profitable for them. Estimates put the increased profits for the Guadalajara cartel, by doing business this way, at approximately $5 billion. And by the mid-80s, they were also working with someone you may have heard of before, Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel in assisting with trafficking boatloads of cocaine across the United States border, again facilitated through Nada Ballesteros. So drug trafficking in North America in the 80s was dominated by the Guadalajara cartel, who saw legendary traffickers like El Chapo and El Mayo moving up in the organization both of whom have their own history of videos on my channel if you are interested. So it's the early 80s, and life was good with the Guadalajara cartel. Really good. Rafa and company were kings, and they had acquired hundreds of houses and ranches and were estimated to be worth over a billion dollars. Rafa himself was described as charismatic, wild, and violent. He was known to host opulent parties that could erupt into chaos and violence at any time, much like his life. Case in point, Rafa had a scandalous affair with 17-year-old Sarah Casio, who was the niece of a Mexican politician. That relationship resulted in her supposed kidnapping and a subsequent manhunt. Although whether Sarah was a willing participant in this kidnapping has always been in question. And I say she couldn't have been all that upset because she stayed with him all the way up until his arrest in 1985. But Rafa had a soft side as well. Locals from his hometown report that he financed the construction of a 25-mile-long highway in Guato. The mayor recalled that before the highway was built, it would take days for people to travel in and out of the town. He also helped to provide electricity to several areas that didn't have it. So he is beloved in his hometown, and he used at least some of the drug money for good. And speaking of using money for good, Up is proud to announce its partnership with WeBull, the online broker that allows you to buy and sell stocks or crypto or whatever you're into directly from your computer or the mobile app on your phone. Webull is free to join. It's free to use. There's no cost to buy or sell. It's commission-free trading. Better yet, when you sign up, link a bank account and deposit as little as one cent Webull will give you at least two free stocks, each worth at least $3 per share. So it's free money as well. If you would like to join the over 2 million Webull traders, all you have to do is click on the link in the description below this video to sign up. Happy trading. So up until this point, for the most part, the Guadalajara cartel had followed Don Pedro's example of protecting their trade primarily with money and bribes rather than bullets, as much of what they were doing was being protected by local law enforcement, politicians, the Mexican DFS, which was their CIA equivalent back then, and the United States CIA who was using the Mexican drug trade to secretly fund Ronald Reagan's war against communism in Nicaragua, which was a big deal because after the Iran-Contra scandal blew up, it became the only way the Contras were receiving financial support. However, not everybody in law enforcement was on board. The United States DEA and the Mexican military were still seeking to bust drug traffickers. So, in November of 1984, acting on information provided in part by U.S. DEA agent Kiki Camarena, 450 Mexican soldiers backed by helicopters conducted Operation Godfather and destroyed a 25,000-acre marijuana plantation known as Rancho Buffalo in Chihuahua that had an estimated annual production of billions of dollars. This was an unbelievable blow to the Guadalajara cartel and to the United States' ability through the CIA to fund ongoing operations of the Contras in Nicaragua. And this was the second field that was busted by information from Kiki. So he had become quite the problem. The DEA says that by January of 1985, quote, Kiki was extremely close to unlocking a multi-billion dollar drug pipeline involving the CIA, Mexican government officials, politicians, local police, and the Guadalajara cartel. Needless to say, Rafa and the GC were on high alert and they were making preparations to deal with these meddlers. So it was the epitome of wrong place at the wrong time. When on January 30th of 1985, Americans John Clay Walker and Albert Rattelat, who were dining at a restaurant in Guadalajara, took a wrong turn and found themselves in a private room with Carol Quintero and his men. Assuming that the interrupters were undercover DEA, Carol Quintero is alleged to have ordered his men to seize these U.S. citizens. They were taken to a storeroom where they were interrogated and tortured with ice picks. John Walker died at the scene from blunt force trauma to the head. Albert Rattelat appeared to have still been alive when both men were wrapped in tablecloths, taken to a park near the city, and buried. Their bodies would remain there for over six months before they were discovered. There are at least some that speculate that what Quero Quintero and his men were doing at the restaurant that night was actually planning an upcoming kidnapping. Because within one week's time, on February 7th of 1985, U.S. DEA agent Kiki Camarena was abducted in broad daylight. Kiki was surrounded by five armed men. Jalisco police officers on the cartel's payroll who threw him into a car. Camarena was then taken to a cartel mansion at 881 Lopa de Vega Drive in western Guadalajara. It is disputed, but some say this property was actually owned at the time by Rafa. Kiki's helicopter pilot that aided in DEA flyovers, Alfredo Zavala Avalar, was also kidnapped. Kiki was beaten, tortured, and interrogated over a 30-hour period. Ultimately, Camarena's body was found almost a month later wrapped in plastic and ditched next to a ranch in Mishoakon. It is a fascinating story with complicity of the United States CIA. But the specifics are beyond the scope of this video, so if you are interested, the entire story of Kiki Camarena is also available on this channel. Camarena's torture and murder prompted a swift reaction from the U.S. DEA, which launched Operation Leyenda, or Legend, the largest DEA investigation ever undertaken, and the three leaders of the Guadalajara cartel became the primary suspects. Feeling the heat, within a month, Caro Quintero would leave Mexico with his associates and Sarah Casio. Investigators would later determine that despite warrants for his arrest, former Mexican Judicial Police Chief Armando Pavon Reyes allowed Caro Quintero to board a private jet at the airport in Guadalajara to seek refuge in Costa Rica. This was done in exchange for a $300,000 bribe. Now, Carol Quintero got away. The police chief did not. He was fired, charged with bribery and complicity in the Camarena murder. But Rafa's freedom would last less than 30 days after a homesick Sarah Casio had a call home traced by the authorities. So, on April 4th of 1985, Carol Quintero was arrested while sleeping at his Costa Rica mansion and extradited back to Mexico on charges of involvement in Camarena's murder. He was charged in both the United States and Mexico, but was tried only in Mexico and sentenced to 40 years for the murder of Camarena, amongst other crimes. Mexican officials were also fairly quickly able to apprehend Donneto, But Felix Gallardo, with his connections, kept a low profile and was protected and even hidden by politicians in Sinaloa and then later in Guadalajara, which allowed him to evade arrest for another four years. But on April 8th of 1989, the last of the GC founders was taken into custody. But hey, the show must go on, right? However, with the big three behind bars, they contemplated that it would be more efficient and less likely to be disrupted by law enforcement if they split things up. So, in a meeting set up by Gallardo's lawyer, several of the top narcos in Mexico met in 1989 at a house in Acapulco where they divided up the GC plazas or territories. The Tijuana route would go to Gallardo's nephews, the ariano Felix brothers. The Juarez route would stay with the Carrillo Fuentes family, that was Don Neto's bunch. Miguel Carol Quintero would run the Sonora corridor, that was Rafa's group. Joaquin Guzman El Chapo and Hector Luis Palma were left with the Pacific Coast operations, with El Mayo eventually joining them. So it's 1989, and we have a whole new way of doing business in narco world with the subdivision of the Guadalajara cartel. In addition, the dismantling of the GC was really the catalyst for exposing the widespread corruption within the political and law enforcement realms of Mexico, as during this time several politicians and police commanders were arrested, with as many as 90 others defecting or simply disappearing. So it's the end of an era where money and bribes were used to protect the drug trade and is really the beginning of when things started to bend towards violence and the violence that we see in the Mexican drug trade today. And while Gallardo envisioned these groups coexisting in harmony, as it turned out, these new cartels played nice for about 30 minutes the Tijuana cartel would get the violence ball a-rolling by executing Armando Lopez, who was one of El Chapo's right-hand men. And while El Chapo didn't respond immediately, within a couple of years, each of these new cartels were actively trying to execute members and leaders of the rival groups. It was quite a mess. Meanwhile, Rafa, was incarcerated at the Federal Social Readaptation Center Number no. 1, Altiplano, in Juárez, which was billed as Mexico's Alcatraz or Supermax prison. It has and currently holds dozens of drug cartel leaders, and it was touted as impenetrable and inescapable. That was until June 11th of 2015 when El Chapo escaped through an almost mile-long tunnel that was dug under the prison and up 33 feet, tapping in through the floor of his shower cell. That event is also beyond the scope of this video, but it's one of my all-time favorite narco stories, and I tell you all about it in my video on El Chapo, so check that out if you are interested. Anyway, from Altiplano, Rafa would bounce around between prisons over the next 28 years when, man, luck was on his side. In the early hours of August 9th, 2013, a Jalisco court ruled that Carol Quintero was tried improperly in a federal courtroom for crimes that should have been tried at the state level. Specifically, when Carol Quintero was given his 40-year federal sentence, he was sentenced for murder, which was a state crime, and not for drug trafficking, which was the federal one. So the magistrate threw out the murder conviction and ruled that Rafa had already served all of his time for the federal crimes he was convicted of and ordered his immediate release. And the United States lost its mind because they just let a guy who was convicted of murdering a U.S. DEA agent go. And there were also murder charges pending against him in the United States and the two countries have an extradition agreement between them. And while, of course, extradition of a Mexican national to the United States is complicated, Barack Obama immediately petitioned the Mexican government to act. And they did. Within five days, a federal arrest warrant was issued for the rearrest of Rafa on additional federal charges in Mexico. But it was too late. He was gone, and they haven't been able to find him since. Oh, there have been sightings. He was first rumored to be back in Badiraguato, but by the time the authorities arrived, he was nowhere to be found. On July 24th of 2016, while still on the run, Caro Quintero gave an interview to Proceso magazine. In the interview, he claimed that he did not kill Kiki Camarena. He also told the reporter that since his release from prison, he had been visited separately by El Chapo and El Mayo, but claims that he told him he did not want to return to the drug business. He also told the reporter that he was no longer a drug trafficker and peace was the only thing he desired. A couple of years later in 2018, the same rumor surfaced again that Rafa was back in his hometown. Only this time, the Mexican military dropped Marines in out of Black Hawk helicopters. They made quite the scene, but they didn't get their guy. That same year, Huffington Post journalist Annabelle Hernandez visited Carol Quintero in Mazatlan, Mexico. Despite having security guards, she stated that Carol Quintero was no longer able to live the lavish lifestyle he had when he was a major drug lord and was now living in, quote, shabby mountain homes. She described him as aging and frail. During the interview, Rafa revealed that he was suffering from an ill prostate and was estranged from his family. His lawyers have also recently echoed that same sentiment in court, stating that he is insolvent, he spends his days scanning for drones that might reveal his location, and he camps in a different spot every night in the Mexican mountains. But is there any truth to this, or is this just a media ploy to get the authorities to relax efforts to bring him in? That is unclear, because there are many that claim quite the opposite, that Rafa is very much still in the game and is the head of the brand new drug cartel in Caborca Sonora, located just south of the state of Arizona. And there has been recent cartel action in Caborca evidenced by a significant uptick in violence between the criminal cells of the Caborca cartel, led by nephew Rodrigo Páez Quintero, and the Sinaloa cartel, now being operated by El Chapo's sons. Regardless of his present status, Rafael Caro Quintero remains among the 15 most wanted international fugitives by Interpol, He is on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, and the U.S. government is offering $20 million for information leading to his capture. That is by far the most reward money for anyone on the list, so it is clear that the United States still hopes to bring Carol Quintero to justice here for the death of Kiki Camarena. Ultimately, in the 30 years that have followed the collapse of the Guadalajara cartel, the fledgling cartels that first existed would fight and fracture into the nine cartels that currently dominate the Mexican drug trade, with the groups choosing to rely on violence to claim various territories and trafficking routes instead of the bribery that had marked their predecessors. It is these continuing disputes and escalating conflicts that has created the political, social, and military chaos that we know as the current Mexican drug war. So that is the episode. I hope you enjoyed going way back into drug cartel history to where it all started in Mexico and then pulling it forward through the lens of Rafael Caro Quintero. If you're interested in more information about Rafa, he is a major character in the Netflix series, Narcos Mexico. That is all for today. Thank you for watching. Remember to like, comment, subscribe, and share. My name is Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you've been watching